This podcast is a presentation of Nags Head Church. Stay tuned and find us online at nagsheadchurch.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Nags Head Church. Glad to see you here and, and welcome to all of you, especially those of you who are our guests. We're thankful to have you here today and uh, you're here to worship with us this morning. Um, we are in a series this morning. Uh, this is number three of, I think there's eight messages in this series. And, uh, and sometimes that changes. You know, as I go through it, I add. Typically I, typically, I don't downsize. I typically expand. But I believe there's eight that will take us into October. And, uh, but we're talking about prayer. And we're looking at the Paul's, Paul's prayers to some churches in the New Testament. As he wrote these letters, we call them epistles, he often included in an epistle a prayer that he was praying for that particular church. Now, these things are in the Bible, and they're here today for us. Uh, we're not in Ephesus, and we're not in Colossae, and Philippi, and, and Thessalonica, and all the cities that he wrote letters to and that he prayed for. But we can see how the apostle prayed, and we can look and say, well, how am I praying? Is my prayer life resemble the apostle Paul's at all? And, uh, and there's one place in, in one of the epistles that he wrote to the churches, and he's talking about how we live our Christian life. And he said, he said simply to them, you follow me as I follow Christ. That's kind of how it works. And we're always looking for someone who's older, someone who's more mature, someone who's ahead of us in the journey, and we can, we can, uh, we can follow them, we can kind of imitate them and do what they do. So we're talking about prayer, and today we're talking about praying to love like Jesus loves. Love like Jesus loves. Popular, popular music throughout the generations. I mean, it goes way, way, way back as far as I can think of popular music back to, back to the late 1800s and so forth. But even before that, uh, popular music has kept the theme of love high on its list, hasn't it? I mean, you can think, remember the songs that you grew up with and how many of them were, were about love of one, one sort or another. In fact, here's what I want you to do. If you've got a piece of paper, if you got, grabbed one of the outlines, or if you didn't, I just want to try to get you to put them in your mind. But I'm going to give you a, give you a few seconds, 30 seconds I'm going to give you to write down the names of at least three songs that you're familiar with that are about love. All right, Go. Thirty seconds. That'll go by quick. Three songs. Titles of just three of them. I'm not going to ask you to come up and sing them, or stand where you are and, and sing the first line, or name that tune, or anything like that. But I just want to make a point that we all know all kinds of songs that are about love, and there must be hundreds of them that we could list right now. And and it didn't start, by the way. You know, most of us in this room, our understanding of music, uh, popular music when we grew up was, was about rock and roll. And, and there's a few of you in this room that maybe go back before those years, and I'm glad you're alive and well today. But um, there's most of us, <laughs> most of us uh, relate to songs, rock songs that we remember growing up. And if you did an analysis of the majority of those songs, the ones that you wrote down, if you kind of looked at them and looked at the words and looked at the lyrics, uh, the majority of those songs, you would have to define from what you know. About, if all you knew about love was what's in that song, love is a feeling, is what most of those songs are going to tell you, unless you're a Boston fan. Um, a few old people got that, all right? 
And, uh, back in that same day, Tina Turner said, love was just a secondhand emotion. All right? It's a feeling, is what these songs say. But Christ's love, we're not talking about feeling love today. We're talking about Jesus' love. The love of God is far different. It's far greater than emotional love because emotional love is like emotions. It comes and goes, doesn't it? It comes in waves and it goes in waves. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. But Christ's love is eternal. So Paul shared with the Corinthians how the love of God is more important than anything else we might be able to drum up or offer. And Jesus talked in John chapter 14 and chapter 15, his, his kind of last kind of things he's given instructions to his disciples before he's crucified. And he talks a lot about love and he commands us in those chapters to love one another. And he says it over and over again. And the apostle John wrote that the grounding of that love, of the love of God in your life and mine begins with God making us his children. Look what John wrote, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. He said, look at how great a love the Father has given us that we should be called God's children. Look at God's love. This is where it begins for you and I. In fact, John goes on and he writes, we didn't love God first, God loved us first. So it begins, it's initiated, it's grounded in the love of God. So if I ask you a question, and we're all this morning in a gathering of a church, and, and uh, even our guests, you're probably, um, if you're from out of town especially, you may, uh, may be here today because it's your routine in your life, your practice, your habit to go to church, and you're, you're uh, away from your home church, but you wanted to worship God today. We're gathered here today with Nags Head Church. But let me ask you a question. How do you know that you are loved in and by the church. Think about that for a second. How do I know I'm loved in the church? I'm loved by the church, the church being the body of Christ. And some of you, in answer to that question, because I hear people say this, some of you would say, you know what? Especially our guests, I have guests that tell us this. I just, the moment I walked into that building, stepped into that building, I just felt the love of God. Can I say to you, if that was your answer, can I say lovingly to you, you've missed it. You've missed it. You see, and now you missed it because you see love as a feeling. I just felt the love of God the moment I walked into the building. That's a feeling kind of love. But Paul says, Jesus says, John says, it's not a feeling. You can't read very much in the New Testament, starting with the Gospels, without finding the subject of love, whether it's God's love for mankind. Just get to John 3, and there it is, right? God so loved the world. Um, whether it's Jesus' love for those he contacted, and, and he often healed them. Whether it was his love for his disciples, the love that we're to have for those who bully and mistreat us, even our enemies, Jesus talked about. You can't read very far in the Bible and not see the love in those churches that they had for one another because the Bible is, it's many things, but one thing that it is, is it's a book about love. It's a book to teach us what love is. God wanted us to know how crucial love is to our purpose, church, to our mission in the world. And, and, and that he showed us that, that he demonstrated his love to us when Christ died. But the love God wants you and me to know, to experience, and to give away is not a feeling. It's not emotional. It's action. What Ramon told you about down in Ocracoke with, with North Carolina Baptists down there with their laundry 
and their shower units. 200 people Friday, just Friday, 200 people made use of those shower units. You can imagine they hadn't had a shower in a week, you know, since the hurricane. They hadn't done their laundry in a week because they got no more washing machines. And the Baptist people are down there with these units. And what are they doing by bringing those units down there and, and cooking meals and serving and doing all the things they do? Are, are they exercising a feeling? No, they're practicing love. Practicing love. It's not emotional. It's not a feeling. It's action. The Bible says God so loved the world. But you know when God so loved the world, you know what he didn't do? He didn't send us puppies and kittens. He didn't drop $100 bills from heaven, did he? He sent his one and only son to die for us, not only to save us from our sin and from our sin's eternal penalty, but God demonstrated the kind of love he provides to us and through us. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. I bet you're familiar with that verse, but let's read it together. Read it with me, please. But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Yeah, no puppies and kittens. Jesus came and died for us. So our purpose, Nag said church, our purpose is to love God with all our hearts and souls and minds and strength. Our mission and our ministry is to love our neighbors as ourselves. It's about love. And even though Christ brings his love with him when he moves into your life, the truth of the matter is if you've been a Christian very long at all, you understand what I'm going to say here. Love is not easy. Love's not easy. And you would think that it would be. Jesus lives in me and Jesus is love and I should be loving all the time and everybody, but it doesn't work that way, does it? It doesn't work that way for me. Love's not easy. And the re- one of the reasons that love's not easy is simple because not everybody is lovable. Don't look at the person next to you, but not every. Well, go ahead and look at them, you know. <laughs> Not everybody is lovable, are they? Some people are hard to love. It'd be nice if everybody was Mr. Rogers, you know. Not everybody's lovable, and that means being able to love like Christ and love with his love requires the ability to overlook the things in another person that make him or her hard to love. And to choose, love is a choice to choose to go beyond that and find ways to love them. That's hard enough in the world. It's also hard in the church. If you've been in the church very long, you've experienced something from someone, no doubt, that hurt you. And you wondered, where's the love? Thought this was supposed to be a loving place and I just got my feelings hurt. I just got stepped on. I just got passed over. I just got ignored. I feel like I'm rejected. Where's the love? And as a result of those kinds of things, some people, because of that very thing, some people have dropped out of church. And their answer, you say, hey, what's happened? How come you're not in church anymore? Why have you stopped and you're not involved? And a lot of times you'll hear the answer. It was because I wasn't loved. I wasn't loved. But let me ask you a question. Can I step on your, put your feet down on the floor because I'm going to stomp on some toes here. I don't mind doing that, by the way. 
That's why you pay me the big bucks. All right. <laughs> Have you ever found a verse in the scriptures that says it's okay to leave a church for any reason? Anybody find that verse? Why not? Why isn't it there? And the reason it's not there is because the scripture is very clear to you and me that love conquers. Love conquers, love covers, love enables us to overcome. There have been times, this might surprise you, and even in Nag Said Church, my existence here in this particular congregation, 28 plus years, there have been times when I wanted to leave the church because I did not feel love like I thought I should have been. But Christ has never, never called us to leave because we don't feel loved. What do I do then? You tough it out. You overcome. You find ways to love the unlovely, the unlovable. Instead, he's called us to love those who are hard to love. The Apostle Paul gave those incredible words that we're all familiar with, I bet. You've heard them maybe at weddings. And he wrote in that first letter that he wrote to the Corinthian church about the importance of God's love. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, even though you've heard it at weddings, it's not a poem about marriage. It's not what it's about at all. But any, any of you guys, I, I, know you, I know you girls have it. I've got to be careful what I say here. Have any of you guys lovingly accompanied your spouse through Hobby Lobby? Have you ever done that? You notice how I said that lovingly accompanied your spouse through Hobby Just me? Just so. There's a few of us brave men. God bless you, brother. And you go through Hobby Lobby and you start walking down through the aisles and they've got all this artwork, these plaques and these pictures. And the owners of that company are Christians. They're playing Christian music in the building. And a lot of the stuff that they have for sale is stuff out of the Bible. It's Bible verses. And you can find pretty much the whole chapter of 1 Corinthians 13 on aisle 14, you know, with <laughs> all the plaques. Things like this. You'll see a plaque that says, without love, I am nothing. Love never fails. So that one's all over the place. That's, we like that one. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love bears all things. Wait a second. Oh, no. There's that word again. A-L-L. -L. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. You'll find a plaque, probably a bunches of them that will say, Maybe T-shirts, too. These three remain, faith, hope, and love. And then you'll find others that say, but the greatest of these is love. You seen that kind of stuff in these stores? Oh, yeah. And there's that what seems to us to be this 1 Corinthians 13, this poetic chapter. I don't know that Paul was a poet. <laughs> But it's written to a church, and if you know the context of 1 Corinthians, it was written to a church that was embroiled in all kinds of conflict. I mean, there wasn't a whole lot of love happening in Corinth at the time in their church. The chapter is in there 
Paul, Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes this chapter because God knows they need to hear this. They were having a hard time loving each other. There was a lot of, in this church, there was a lot of jockeying for position. There was a lot of me first. A lot of not dealing with open sin in the church. Let's just turn away from it. Let's pretend like it's not there, which is not loving. A lot of selfishness in this congregation. So Paul tells them, church, listen, he writes this this section of the letter and as he's telling them, you're missing this most important part of the Christian life. It's love. And we often stop reading that chapter with the last verse in chapter 13 that ends with those words, and the greatest of these is love. And we stop reading that chapter. But we really need to connect chapter 14, verse 1, onto the rest of chapter 13, which where Paul says, so, okay, pursue love. If you're going to go after something, go after love. Your life's goal should be to love others, not with just emotion, but with genuine acts of sacrifice if needed. So here in Paul's prayer, we're going to be in Ephesians 3 for the rest of the morning. Here's Paul's prayer beginning in the latter part of verse 17 down through verse 19. And in this prayer, he prays for this church in Ephesus. And we've been looking at his prayers the last couple of weeks earlier in the, in the, in the, the epistle. He prays for the church that they might know God's love and put it into practice. That's what he prays for. And they need to do that. And one of the reasons they need to do that, if you read the epistle, you find out that in this church, they are a... They are a um, a mixed race church, if I can say it that way. They're multi-ethnics, ethnic, ethnics in this church. They, they're not all the same. They don't all look the same. They don't all talk the same. They're Gentiles and Jews, but they're all believers in Jesus. And I'm not going to ask you if you've ever said this, but because of the way that they were brought up, they've got prejudices to overcome. And Paul says to them, I'm going to pray for you all to learn how to love each other because it's going to take God's love to do that. So Paul's, Paul prays. Here's some of the things his prayer tells us about love. First of all, love is the basis for who we are and are to be. Love, we're talking about this morning, when I say love now, from now on, we're talking about God's love. God's agape love. We're talking about that love. He prays this, latter part of verse 17, I pray that you, church, being rooted and firmly established in love. Now here are two ideas from agriculture, rooted and firmly established, because they go together. Some say rooted is agriculture, and some say firmly established is, is like construction, engineering. Rooted and established is also agriculture. Uh, the root systems of, of a plant is how it's fed, isn't it? Where does it get its nourishment? From its roots as they go down into the ground, but it's also the root system that holds plants up and keeps them stable. Some of us saw the evidence of that a week ago Friday as Dorian swept through with some winds. We saw trees come down. Did they not have roots? They did. But because the ground had become so saturated, from heavy rains, the roots, 
you know, I mean, right around here, all they got to hold on to anyway is sand, right? And if it's saturated with water and the water table comes up and the roots under the ground that you can't see are pretty much in a pool of water, they've got nothing to hold on to. And so when the wind blows 50, 60, 70 miles an hour or more, you've seen trees and I've seen them as well. They come, they come falling down, root system and all. I mean, it all comes down. Paul's praying. Church, listen. Pray for one another. I'm praying for you that if God's love is your root system, please hear this. If God's love is your root system, the storms you face in life as a church, individually, as a family, those storms will not be able to blow you down if they're established in love. We'll be firmly established if love is our root system, if love is our foundation, Because the Bible tells us God's love never, what? Fails. God's love keeps us from collapse, even in the hardest times, even even when dealing with the most unlovable. God's love, if we're rooted in it, helps us through that. And then Paul prays and he tells us that love is lived out in the community of the church. Your feet still on the floor? Okay, good. He prays and he says that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints. If you got your Bible open, your notes, whatever, you might want to circle that word with. Paul prays for their ability as a church to understand love. Where does that ability come from? You can't come up with it, by the way, on your own. You can't comprehend this love of God by studying hard, by trying to do your best. In fact, if you look back, if you go back to verses 16 and 17, Paul says, here's where you get this ability to love. He said, I pray that he, speaking of the Father, might grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I read that, that part of the prayer and it just jumped out at me. You know what's in that prayer? Those two verses right there, the Trinity. Do you see that? I pray that he, and if you bounce back up a little bit earlier, find out he in this passage is the Father, may grant you, according to the riches of his glory, with power through his spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts. There's all three, Father, Son, Holy Ghost, right there. So when somebody says to you, oh, there's no such thing as a Trinity, you can take them to Ephesians chapter 3 verses 16, 14, 15, right in there, and say, well, here it is. Here they are. You have the entire Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, ready to provide you with this divine love for others. Paul says they're all involved. Paul says, Paul says and this phrase that Christ may dwell in your hearts, he says that, that's a Greek phrase. Here's what it means. Jot this down somewhere that he may dwell, the word means that he may feel at home in your hearts. That he may feel at home in your hearts. And when you make Christ welcome, make him feel at, feel, feel at home. That's, you know, the, the Spanish phrase is mi casa es su casa. My house is your house. You know, and you've welcomed people into your home and you've said to them, hey, welcome, just treat it like it's your own house. 
whatever's in the refrigerator is yours. And you've learned later to be careful about saying that with some people. But it's, it's yours, you know. This is your house. You're welcome in my home. Feel at home here. That's what this word means, that Christ may feel at home in your hearts. And when Christ, you make Christ, when I make Christ welcome, and he knows he's welcome because my life, your life allows him to feel at home, allows him to feel comfortable in you because there's nothing there that makes him uncomfortable. What follows is his love coming out from you. And you'll begin to love as he did. But don't make, don't miss this, where this love takes place, where he said that, that we read just a moment. He said, with all the saints. Circle that word with if you didn't already. All the saints. And who are the saints? If you jump back to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, to the faithful saints in Christ Jesus at Ephesus. He wasn't talking about people up in heaven, people whose images are painted and sculpted on church walls. He was talking about the people in the church right here that he's writing the letter to, because if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a saint. No, that doesn't, you know, we think of saint, that means somebody who just lives perfect. You know, never does anything wrong. No, saint means set apart ones. Saint means holy ones. Saint means you belong to Jesus and he's changed you. To the saints. He said, with all the saints. What is he saying? Within the community of the church is where love is practiced first and foremost. That's why God wants us all to be in a church. He wants us to learn how to love. And he wants us to learn how to love people with. How many of you are type A personalities? Raise your hand. Besides me, you're a type A. Both of you are type A's? Yes. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> There's some headbutt going on in that house. Like, whoa. Usually uh, type A's don't marry type A's. You know, we usually marry somebody with a different personality. But, uh, you know, if, and type A's... Those of you who raise your hand, other people would say, you're hard to love. Why? Because it's always got to be, you always got to be right. Amen, sister. You're welcome to come and kneel right here and <laughs> right now. And get that taken care of, all right? Go ahead and push her up there, Steve. It's where love in the church is practiced first and foremost because it's in the church where we rub elbows as we worship, as we serve in our small groups, as we do this life the most with those in our church. And Jesus said to his disciples, John 13, I think it's verse 35, he said, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. Here's how the world will know you're my disciples. It's not because of the clothes you wear, you know. He said, this is how people will know you're my disciples. He said, if you have love for one another. Now, did you catch that? Underline, if you have your Bible open there, or if that's in your notes, underline the words for one another. Jesus said, here's what Jesus said. 
When I, when, I was, when I was a teenager, back in the olden days, we had a chorus that we sang in church. You know, they'll know we're Christians by our love. Remember that? We're one in the Spirit. We're one in the Lord. In a, in a minor key, and it sounded like a funeral dirge, but we sang it anyway. We thought it was really cool. A minor and E minor on the guitar. Everybody can play that. And the song said, and they'll know we're Christians by our love, but that's not what Jesus said. That cuts off what Jesus said. Jesus said, the world will know you're my disciples by your love for who? Each other, Christians, that you show the world that you love one another. That's how the world knows that you're Christians. And he, had, he put this word in there, and this is a big word. You can circle this. It's a big two-letter word. If you have love for one another. It means when, when Jesus said that, you know what he was saying? It isn't automatic that you'll love each other. It isn't. That's why Paul says here, this is something we should pray for each other, that we will love one another in the body of Christ. There's another place where the Bible, I believe, makes it crystal clear that God's will for every believer is to be partnered with a local church. There's no example in Scripture. We said a few moments ago, we couldn't think of any example in Scripture where the Bible says it's okay to leave if you don't feel love. There is no example in Scripture of a Christian who's not part of a local church. That's foreign to the Bible. So let me tell it like it is again this morning. May I do that? May I have your permission? If you're a Christian and you're not connected in fellowship with a local church, you are missing out on understanding this love he's talking about. You are missing out on understanding how to give his love and experience love in the most amazing ways. With all the saints, not apart from them, with them. Then Paul goes on and he prays and he says, his love is too great to miss. Too great to miss. Here's what he says about it. He says, God's love is four-dimensional. We're used to thinking about three-dimensional, aren't we? He says it's four-dimensional. And he prays about God's love. He says, what is the length and width and height and depth of God's love? Now, we can't know exactly what Paul was thinking of here. I've, I've read some commentators and they say, I think this is what Paul meant. I think this is what Paul meant. We don't know exactly because he doesn't tell us. But certainly, if anything else, because he's giving dimensions, it must mean that God's love can't be measured in any direction. It can't be measured in any dimension. It encompasses height, width, length. You know, it encompasses everything we are to do and to be as a church. All of it is to be engulfed in his love. And then he says, not only is it multidimensional, he says it surpasses knowledge. And he prays and says, and to know, I want you to know Christ's love, the Messiah's love that surpasses knowledge. Now, this is one of those things, say, okay, what are you trying to say here, Paul? You just told me I need to know something that I cannot know. I want you to know his love that surpasses knowledge. Are you trying to trick me here, Paul? You know, what are you praying here? How do we know something that is unknowable? 
Well, his goal for us is to know his love, yet it goes beyond our ability to know it fully, to know it fully. We know, how do we know God's love? This kind of love. We know it as we experience it. We know God's love that he gave his son Jesus to demonstrate that love and die for us who were sinners while we were still sinners. And we receive that love by accepting Jesus as our savior. Boom, we know God loves us. But there's other ways that we know God loves us as well. And we experience it not as feeling, but as people in the church primarily do things to love us and show us that love. But we'll never know it all. And we can't ever know all of God's love. And the answer for that, the reason for that is really, really simple. Don't overthink it. We can't know all there is to know of God's love because God is infinite. These dimensions never end. He's infinite and we're not, are we? We're finite. Our understanding has limits. God is limitless in his love. And then Paul prays and he says, living and knowing his love fills us with God. So that, he said, I want you to know this love, this multidimensional love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Two things I know about the fullness of God. First is that God's fullness is found in Christ. You want to know the fullness of God? Get to know Jesus. Why do you say that? Colossians chapter 2, verse 9 says, For in him, Jesus, the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily. All of it was put in Jesus. So if you want to know all about God as much as you can, the fullness of God, the love of God, take a look at Jesus because he embodies the fullness of God. And then 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, I know this about the fullness of God. And that verse simply says this, God is love. God is love. It doesn't say God has some love to share and he wants to give it with you. That's not what it says. It says God is the essence of God is love. And we can know Christ and we can know his love by living it and by putting it into practice as we're filled with as much as we possibly can be with the nature of God. And the nature of God is found in Jesus. Then Paul prays and he says this, love, as, as it grows, it goes out beyond the church to everyone. They'll know you're Christians because you love one another. But if that love is working and that love is multiplying and that love is growing, as it says that, we, that will happen, it's going to spread. It's going to spill out. It's going to spill over. <clears throat> First Thessalonians 3, verse 12, he prays for that church and says, and may the Lord cause you to increase and overflow with love for one another and for everyone. You could maybe say that, and everyone else, just as we also do for you. He says, just like it's his love, God's love is growing in, in us, Paul and his, his, uh, his fellow uh, missionaries. He says, it's growing in us for you. And he wasn't bragging when he said, we love you and our love increases and our love overflows from you. He wasn't bragging, Paul, but Paul was setting the example. And he's setting the example so that we could look, they could look and see Paul 
ways that Paul loved them. How has Paul loved us? And they can look and see. They remember the times that he was there with them in Thessalonica, starting that church up in up in northern Greece. And, and they, they remember when he came and remember the things that happened. They remember the, how his enemies were chasing him and wanted to kill him. And they remember all these things that Paul did because he loved them. He was setting the example. And Paul says, when, when, when the church is loving one another, as I've called you to do, church, when you're loving one another in very practical, meaningful ways, the church can't hold it in. I, I was an intern in a church when I was in college. After my freshman year of college, I was an intern in a church down in Georgia. And one Sunday night, the church had Sunday morning church, Sunday night, and, uh, and uh, one Sunday night, I was kind of taken by surprise because the, the pastor ended the service with, and I don't know exactly the words he said, but it was kind of like, now go and, go and hug somebody. And they had a, what they call, they, it was a love-in, you know. <laughs> and, and I was brand new to the church. I bet I hadn't been there a week or two, and they're doing this, and I'm standing around looking, what in the world is going on? People are going all over the auditorium there, finding one another and hugging one another. And, and, uh, and, you know, a few people came up and hugged me. I was hoping they were female, but a few people came up and, <laughs> and, and hugged me. And, and after it was all over, we had several interns and some kids that I went to college with that were there. That was their home church. And I said, what was that all about? Oh, Pastor Randy likes to do that every now and then. You know? And that's great to give somebody a hug and say, I love you. But what's greater is to show them that you love them, to do something. The church can't hold it in. And as, as the church loves and loves and loves one another, the world around us is loved as it spills out and spills over to everyone. And the result of that is many of them will come to know Christ. And then Paul says this in his prayers, discernment and love work well together. Discernment and love work well together. For the Philippian church, Paul prayed this in Philippians 1.9. And I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment. Discernment, what is that? Often we find God's, acts of God's love among us does result in emotions. I mean, there's nothing wrong with being emotional. We smile, we experience joy, we cry, we weep because we love but because we are so programmed by our culture into thinking love is emotionally driven, we can allow emotions to do things for love's sake, but discernment is absent. He says every kind of discernment. What does that mean? It means that emotional love, if we're not careful, if it just becomes emotional, emotional love can cloud our thinking. Some of you have heard the term that people use about folks that have somebody in their family, somebody in their home that maybe is addicted, has bad behavior, and mom keeps letting them come back and come back and come back, and someone says she is an enabler. Have you heard that term? Maybe you are one of those enablers. 
An enabler is someone who is lacking discernment. That's what an enabler is. An enabler is someone whose emotions has taken over. And you say, I'm loving, I'm doing this out of love, but really is an enabler loving somebody in the long run? No. They continue to allow them to be hurt. Like you, I've watched the footage of the obliteration of everything down in Abaco in the, in the Bahamas. I watched in horror. I saw the, I saw the, uh, the film. I've, I've seen the pictures. I mean, it looks like a bomb exploded, doesn't it? And my first reaction, which is loving and good, is we've got to do something. How can I help? Amen. If that's your reaction, that's a good reaction. So do I send money to the first organization that puts out the plea? How much money do I send? What do I know about that agency, that group that I'm sending funds to? Should I just go and do what I can? Should I just get on a plane and try to get there? And would it be better to take the money I would spend on going and give it to someone who is there and knows the needs better than I? All those kinds of questions, you know what those amount to? Discernment. What's the right and best thing to do? What is the, and, and I, think, I think discernment and wisdom are great partners. They walk together. Those questions bring discernment into the response of love. The response is, I've got to do something to help. Great. But what? And often that, often love that is missing discernment, by the way, discernment is one of the spiritual gifts that many of us in the church have. Not all of us, but some of us. Discernment is too often, in the love that's missing discernment, is too often not God's love, but is purely emotional love. As I said, when, when discernment and wisdom are hooked together, joined together with God's love, they can do, they will do the right thing. They will do the best thing. And in that sense, listen, listen, think about this with me. In that sense, love is a stewardship. You know what stewardship means? It means I'm managing somebody else's resources because the love is God's and he gives it to me and he wants me to share it with others, but he wants me to be wise and discerning about how I share it. God gives us his love and he gives it to us to give away. But not to be thrown away, not to be wasted. Alistair Begg, pastor, author, wrote this. He said, in a sense, our minds and our hearts will spend our whole lives catching up on the reality of the love of Christ. Our whole lives will be spent catching up on the reality of the love of Christ. So let me conclude with this thought with you this morning. Deeper prayer includes prayer for your church, for your connection group, for your family, to know and live his love in and through us. Do your prayers include that? God, help us to love. Let's just take a minute with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. And what I'd like you to do as you pray is to name someone, maybe just one other person in your church. Name that person, that man, that woman, that child, that young person, 
name that person to the Lord and pray for him or her right now these things that Paul prayed. Would you do that? This has been a presentation of Nags Head Church. Love God, love others, reach the world.